Greetings, fellow humans, and thank you once again for tuning in to Very Fine, the comics podcast where we take some questions and see how best we can answer those burning questions in your mind. Xavier truly asks, is Eric Killmonger dead forever? Like everybody on Earth, I saw Black Panther in theaters twice and was absolutely captivated by Michael B. Jordan's portrayal of Eric Killmonger. This was arguably the first MCU villain that elicited genuine sympathy from the audience to the point where it was hard not to root for him to come out on top at the end. And yet, it was a modern superhero movie, and that requires evil to be vanquished in the end. And Killmonger died overlooking the beautiful Wakandan skyline, while audiences had to negotiate some pretty intense feelings. So, is he truly dead forever? Well, let's tackle this one through two different lenses. Marvel Studios and Marvel Publishing. The most notable villain in Marvel Studios' catalog has so far been Thomas Hiddleston's Loki, who debuted in the first Thor film. The Norse trickster god was thought to have died in that movie, but resonated so well with audiences that he came back for the Avengers and further Thor films. He's been as close to a mainstay in the MCU as any of the other protagonists, and it all started with an epic drop into space. As for the book, Killmonger was once thought to be deceased way back in Jungle Action 17, but came back to torment T'Challa during Christopher Priest's magnificent run on the title in the early 2000s. This was primarily a behind-the-scenes resurrection, with the Mandarin supposedly acquiring his corpse in Iron Man Annual No. 5. Killmonger pushed T'Challa to the limit, appearing as a physical and political threat during the storyline but met his end thanks to former Captain Marvel Monica Rambeau in Black Panther number 38. But this is Marvel, of course. One of the original practitioners of dead doesn't mean dead, and he had come back once before. The publisher, entertainment giant, has never been afraid to retcon anything that could make them a few extra bucks. The books are filled with countless resurrections to the point where it's a punchline for characters. I cannot imagine that the publisher would allow a character with this much buzz not to be brought back, especially with a writer as skilled as Tanahisi Coates still at the helm of the title. Were I a betting man, I'd say that there's an 85% chance he's back within a year. No, I'm just feeling it. As for the movies, that's up to Marvel Studios to decide. Lisa Carley asks, What's stronger, Captain America's shield or Wolverine's claws? Immediately, the cover from Captain America Annual Number 8 by Mike Zeck, where Wolverine's claws strike Cap's shield and summon a shower of sparks between the combatants, comes to mind. Yet that's just the first of many different images showing the claws coming into direct contact with the shield. But why? Adamantium is the strongest metal in the Marvel Universe, and Wolverine can typically carve through anything. So how does the shield give him fits? The website Science Fiction and Fantasy Stack Exchange takes an incredibly insightful view of this topic, discussing the actual composition of each item. In the canon Marvel Universe Earth-616, Captain America's shield is an alloy of proto-adamantium, a unique and never-again duplicated mixture of adamantium and vibranium, making it even stronger than pure adamantium while giving it special properties neither metal seems to possess singularly. In the most recent storylines of the Avengers comic, his shield was broken and repaired by Asgardian smiths who added a bit of Uru metal to the mixture, thus making it even more unique with the potential to be enchanted. Keep in mind that vibranium is an extraterrestrial metal of unknown origin, and there are typically two types of vibranium. Wakanda vibranium, 
which absorbs vibrations and dispels kinetic energy, and Antarctic vibranium, which disrupts metallic structures, including adamantium, is known by another name, antimetal. Seeing as how these claws are adamantium, the strongest metal known, and can slice through vanadium steel like a hot knife through butter, buddy, you gotta ask yourself, do I feel lucky? While adamantium is a synthetically created metal alloy discovered in an effort to recreate Captain America's shield's uniquely indestructible nature. The scientists were unable to recreate what was dubbed proto-adamantium, however they did discover the next best thing, adamantium the most indestructible metal ever synthesized on Earth. Wolverine's claws are composed of adamantium and are able to cut through almost any known material. This has been said countless times over the years in Marvel Comics. However, Logan's claws are officially beta adamantium. Wolverine was initially created with true adamantium, but after decades of interacting with his healing factor, the metal has been degraded to beta adamantium. So really it does boil all down to composition. Logan's claws are bone-based but are coated with that pure beta adamantium, which, again, in its purest form is the strongest substance there is, with few being able to mold it in a way that Lord Darkwin originated. However, Cap's shield is composed of the pre-adamantium adamantium, vibranium, and uru metals. This mixture renders Cap's shield, at the moment, stronger than Wolverine's claws. Finally, Nate Kurth asks, which of Ramona Flowers' evil exes would win in a battle royale? If we're going to date, you may have to defeat my seven evil exes. You have seven evil ex-boyfriends? Seven evil exes, yes. And I have to fight? Defeat. Defeat your seven evil exes if we're going to continue to date? Pretty much. To begin to surmise the outcome of a jilted ex-free-for-all, we have to examine the combatants individually. Matthew Patel's the first ex, a junior high fling, with mystical powers. Lucas Lee is the second, a guy who became the ambition of nearly every middle school boy as a pro skateboarder and action hero with the skill set of each vocation at his disposal. Todd Ingram is the third, a bassist with extreme psychic powers who grew up with Ramona. Todd has abilities like telekinesis and an invulnerability aura tied to his vegan practices. Roxy Richter is Ramona's lone ex-girlfriend and a half ninja to boot. She has all the skills of a ninja, but not quite as sharp. She's also able to teleport. Kyle and Ken Katayanaga are Ramona's fifth and sixth evil boyfriends, a pair of Japanese twins who often finish each other's sentences. The pair are expert roboticists who summon robots to fight Scott. Last is Gideon Gordon Graves, the leader and founder of the League of Ramona's Evil Ex-Boyfriends and the main antagonist of the Scott Pilgrim comic series. Gideon is an epic mastermind genius and inventor who created the GLOW, a powerful weapon described as emotional warfare that causes those afflicted to be overwhelmed by their own hang-ups, effectively sealing them within their own minds. With all the powers listed here, and knowing how Scott would eventually defeat each of them, it's a lot easier to anticipate how a fight would go between all these exes. I believe the first one out would be Todd. Although his telepathic powers would typically allow him to dominate his competition, being exposed as the dietary fraud that he is would automatically make him the first one to go, with his powers simply vanishing. The remaining exes all have skills and would trump Todd's remaining bass-playing ability. Roxy would be the next out of the ring as her insecurities would leave her incredibly vulnerable to an attack by Gideon, 
who would actually be the next ex eliminated. Gideon is going up against a legion of arrogant narcissists here whose emotional hangups aren't really there. They are concerned solely with their own reality and unconcerned with how others' existence may be affected. Kyle and Ken are wild cards here, as together they present an absolutely formidable foe capable of wildly effective physical attacks. Separately, they're just a pair of douches who can put up a little fight, but it pales in comparison to Lucas Lee's physical attributes in a brawl. And yet, I think that Matthew Patel would be the last one standing, being able to lay down a heaping sack of SmackDown on Lucas Lee. Now here you may argue that Lee represents the best hand-to-hand combatant of the group, and you'd be right. But if DC Comics has taught me one thing throughout all my years of reading, it's that even Superman has a weakness to magic. I want to thank everyone who contributed a question this week, and man, there were a lot to choose from, and it was actually quite difficult. So next week we'll try and get to some of the remaining questions, and we're always open to more. Thank you again for listening to Very Fine. If you feel motivated to, please give us some reviews, ratings, stars, what have you, on iTunes or any of your podcast providers. We're under the Court of Nerds RSS feed. Additionally, please listen to any of Kevin Carley, Captain Dick Sledge's podcast on their RSS feed, and any of Ben Raven's That's So Braven podcast, and give them some ratings for the esoteric, wonderful podcasts they are. Also, Court of Nerds presents Reverse Centaur is available on Podbean, iTunes, and any of your other podcast providers, and could use a little love as well. Again, thank you so much for listening, and be sure to send us your comic-related questions for the future. And bye-bye. Bye-bye.